1: Hello and welcome to Formula for Success. I'm Eddie Jordan and with me is David Coulthard. How are you, my old pal, David?
0: I'm good, I'm good. I really, Actually, I really enjoy when you do the intro because formula for success is so difficult to say. It's not, it's easy. Well, try and say it again. Formula for success. Formula. You've missed out the R. Oh, well, I, know I always too.
1: but I don't never, and I, I always miss out the H's and who's Hulthard.
0: Yeah, well, look, my, my second name is, is definitely complicated for people. Well, it is but, complicated. Uh, I'm glad you said that. Um, we are, Eddie, in our favourite recording studio here in Monaco, and you've got another important guest that you brought along, someone from your past, yeah. um, who is going to come in and uh, confirm or deny some of the many stories that you, I know you embellish. But uh, tell us a little bit about our special guest. He's Paul Jordan started to work for jordan grand
1: prix or jordan racing i should say long before the grand prix team and that was 1987 he joined the same day as andy stevo andy stevenson who as you know is the sporting director at uh, aston martin and he's been there all that time so they're all good friends i always feel they're part of my family i always felt that people who worked for jordan at whatever stage of their life i i wanted to embrace them and because they embraced me and it was like a a bit of a roller coaster we had a a funny life um not always perfect and there wasn't always enough on the table to feed everybody but we managed and sometimes it was fantastic and sometimes it was very difficult and i think um having paul here to tell a few stories um what it's like in a race team what it was like at a startup what it was like to go to france to do a formula 3 team because i got rid of him, and uh, i'll always give Full credit to Paul for making sure he looked after my best interests. So, Paul Jordan is going to be our main guest today.
0: Well, I look forward to talking to Paul shortly. Before we do, um, you know, we're going to uh, take a couple of listener questions. And this one here is from Matthew Brown. So he goes, dear EGA, I was lucky to win a prize to attend the 2000 British Grand Prix as a VOP guest of Jaguar Racing. Uh, a certain Scottish driver won a damp and tricky race. That'll be me. Oh. Did I ever tell you about the time I won the British Grand Prix? Uh,
1: I, I think we you, if you haven't, you've now have done so. And um, go on. It I'll, I'll, becomes I'll,
0: extremely boring when, when you go does, on with this does. kind of crap. I agree. But let's move on then. So he got to see John Watson. The first Absolutely. driver in a Jordan, the 191. He shook that down for you at Silverstone. He got to interview uh, Johnny Herbert, one of your first managed drivers. He got to see Eddie Irvine as well, someone else. That, you actually own Nobody most escaped. of these drivers. you the only one. I don't know how I managed everyone, to slip through the net. Everyone
1: paid their dues except you.
0: There you go. So this is quite a long question, so I'll continue on. He said, Johnny was the consummate professional, but when John asked Eddie how the car was handling, apparently Eddie replied that the car was shit and terrible to drive. Now, apparently that's true. Is that the way Eddie Irvine would answer questions about whether the car was good or bad? It'd usually be worse. There was far more explosives in there. But then Eddie Irvine was a, a class... Uh, he was different to anyone else. So the, the question ultimately is, how did you deal with Eddie Irvine? Because you, you managed him, you helped sell him onto Ferrari. Were you still involved with him as a manager when he left the team? Or what's the story with Eddie? Well... Uh, Eddie Irvine, I'm not sure if I'm meant liberty to
1: say this part. Just, I'm not going to mention go the numbers. Anyway. No, I'm not. I will tell you the story, but I'm not going to tell you the amounts. Okay. But he was so super clever. There's very few drivers in all of the drivers that I've had that can come up to the level of intelligent or now just knowing what to do. And I remember I had a year left on his contract. And I think in a previous show, I mentioned the fact that I, in Budapest, I went to see Jean Todd and I went to great lengths to tell him that he should consider Irvine instead of um, Gerhard Berger, who was leaving the team. And I said that, you know, Irvine was the perfect guy for him. And um, when I went to, to Lugano to do the deal, because uh, they asked, could they talk to me? Uh, Irvine had been on, in a nightclub until the middle of the morning and he wasn't able to get out of the plane to go to the meeting, which is absolutely true. And um, so when we, I went to the meeting to meet the lawyer, Henri Peter, and I, I explained everything, did the deal as best I could. And it was one amazing part of the deal that I was so proud of myself, came back to Irvine, and I was, felt I was in top, top drawer. And that one particular part of the contract was simple. I said, I can't agree to this, guys. Uh, because this is my client and this is how I'm representing. Yes, I agree with the money and I agree with this, that, and the other and the contract the duration and the terms basically on the conditions of the contract which were valid. And um, there was one part of it that I wouldn't agree. And that was a clause in there that said that uh, if a notice was given during the race that Irvine would have to move out of the way for, for Michael, which was in everybody's contract. And because my argument was, why should he do that? And then you not pay him the points money that he could have had. And then they started to look at each other and I said, well, I think I've got them a little bit here. Because I was trying to make the point. It's grossly unfair and it's immoral to, to actually ask somebody to do something as a favor and then penalize him for not getting those points money. So what I got them to agree, and I promise you it was the deal of a lot, I got them to agree to give Irvine the same number and amounts per point as Michael was getting. And I thought that was such a great deal. And when I came back and told Irvine that. However, it gets worse. The next day, as his customer, he lived in Oxford and he came down for the breakfast and he was sitting there with Marie and the kids before they were going to school. And he said, oh, EJ, I love this team. I don't think I'll go. And he said, "Uh, sorry, Irvine, you're going. And he said, I love Marie. I love the team. I love everything that I stand for here. You've made it possible. Look at the life I've got and I've got an offer from Ferrari, but I don't want to go. I want to stay with Jordan. I've got one more year in the contract. I feel it's the right thing to do. Now, I knew exactly what he was at. He was asking for a bit of a payoff. And I wasn't giving him any payoff. But eventually, good old Irvine, he was as sharp as a nail. He knew I would eventually pay him because I'd obviously struck a deal with Ferrari. I said to him, listen, Ferrari, that's him sorted. Now, what about the Jordan contract? He said, what about the Jordan contract? Well, he's got a year left in his contract. You have to buy this contract from me. And Ferrari had to pay me and pay me handsomely. And then Irvine, the bastard, he came and knew this and he nicked a very significant amount of that money for
0: himself. Now, can you believe that? Uh, Well, I I think the word nicked is not the appropriate word in that sentence. He negotiated, he leveraged his position. He Uh, broke my balls, David. Well, many people have probably tried that over the years. But that that particular clause that you mentioned, when when I was talking to, to Ferrari... It was really? the reason why Were you it, considered it, it, by Ferrari. I was on. I had the first negotiation, and when I turned it down, they then went to you to get <laughs> Irvine. And I and it was Bernie Ecclestone it called me, and I was actually with my manager from IMG at the time, and he said, "Are you interested in going to Ferrari?" And I said, "Well, every driver would be interested in going to Ferrari at some point." And um, he went away and did whatever he was doing, and um, it led to a, a meeting with Jean Todd in Paris, his apartment there. And we got to the point of the contract. And the thing that I couldn't agree to was if I was running fourth and Michael was fifth, I would have to move over if I was third and you know, all those yeah. all those numbers. Now, of course, in the fullness of time, we know that Michael was a better driver and he would very rarely find himself behind me. But it was just I couldn't commit myself to knowing that I didn't have an equal chance of going for the win or whatever the position was. So in a different mindset, maybe, than you were negotiating for for Eddie. So I never went to Ferrari, and they obviously had that conversation with you. So well done, you. Uh, You got what you wanted. Eddie, definitely, I can confirm, is one of the sharpest characters. But uh, should we move this on to the next question? Um, We've got a guy here uh, who is a Chelsea fan. Uh, He's called Will. And he said, uh, What would you do, Eddie, to fix Chelsea after such a terrible season? And the, the question is uh, Have you ever considered buying into a football team? You, I think you were a shareholder at Celtic, were you not? Still am. And uh, only much minor than
1: when I was then. I mean, I think I own seven, six, eight percent of sure. Anyway, I sold so we'll it. called to- it nine. Uh, no, it was in that region. I think it was seven and a half. Listen, I don't mind. But Dermot Desmond was a great longtime friend of mine. And uh, we grew up together. We did the Institute of Bankers together in Dublin all those years ago in our late teens. And Dermot is a massively successful guy. And his big passion was to own and to control and to run Celtic. And they've had a, an amazing last number of 10 years or so when you think about it. and. um, it's probably the most moving moment of of sport uh, in my lifetime is uh, a Champions League game uh, that Celtic beat Barcelona uh, in Parkhead, and the night train it was an all-nighter from Glasgow back to London. It was the craziest journey I think I've ever been on in my life. And you can imagine what the Scots are like after something like that. But to beat Barcelona was, it was magical. I'd never forgotten it. And um, Killer, my son, who you know, um, he says in, he, will, to, he will bring it to his grave because it was just the most electric moments and memories that he's ever had. It was a Celtic game against Barcelona.
0: Yeah, sounds, sounds incredible. My uh, late grandfather was a huge Celtic fan and we were in Ireland for my mother's, uh, I think it was her 60th at the time, and the surviving European Cup members of the, uh, the Celtic team were, were touring Ireland, with the European Cup replica trophy. And I remember them being at the same hotel. We were staying at some lovely golf course. And my grandfather said, oh, that'd be great if I could get a picture with them. So I used my Formula One status to go and disturb them and ask if I could get a picture. And I remember, not a prouder look, he had a wee tear in his eye, because these were the and men dad, yeah. that when he was a young man, he'd watched pick up the European Cup trophy. So, yeah, Celtic uh, touches both our families. But well, you didn't actually answer the question about what would you do to sort out Chelsea because you are a Chelsea fan as well. I am a Chelsea fan and uh, it gives me no pleasure whatsoever
1: to see where they are at the moment. I'm disappointed and I'm, I'm sad because Frank Lampard is one of the greatest men uh, and a real genuine friend um, a wonderful footballer himself and John Terry and Didier Drogba, uh, those were magical times. And now you roll it on to this time. Abramovich, whatever anyone says, was a genius. And what he brought to Chelsea was something magic. Um, the new owners at the moment don't seem to be in that same uh, league and uh, getting rid of Tuchel was a mistake, but that's hindsight. To appoint Frank Lampard and after the problems that he had at Everton to bring him into Chelsea didn't seem like a very logical, well thought out program. And now they have to go somewhere, but they've got Positino now coming, an Argentinian tough guy who was with Paris Saint Germain, and then of course he's with with Spurs. So. Everybody is optimistic and hopeful for the future. Have I renewed my season
0: ticket holders? Yes, I have. Well, look, we're going to take a quick break. And on the other side, we're going to meet up with one of the key men and the architects of Jordan's success, Paul Jordan. I don't know what he's going to say. (laughs) Well, Paul, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Um, I think before I let Eddie say our words, uh, we need to know your side of the story, how you came together. You share the same name. There's no relationship, is there? No, no, none at all. Just
2: pure coincidence when I started with uh, EJ. I finished working with Honda, Wayne Gardner, world champion. On the motorbikes? Yeah. Yeah, fantastic. Um, and I wanted to go into cars, so I, I went to Eddie Jordan Racing, got the job, 87 exactly the same time that um, Andy Steven, A. Stevenson, started, who now is obviously sporting director for Aston Martin. So we started both at the same time, Formula Three Mechanics. So
0: you used to get your hands dirty because you're beautifully manicured now. No, Andy did
2: did all the work. Exactly.
0: I (laughs) I wasn't going to answer that. Yeah, so
2: it wasn't down to me. But Andy couldn't get up in the morning, so I was a morning person. Andy would come in at midday. I would start in the morning. And in the afternoon, I would then concentrate on... I had a second-hand car sales business in Oxford. So I would sell the cars in the afternoon while Andy did the work. Um, but I soon realized quickly that, obviously sharing the same surname as, as EJ, um, that I I used his telephone number to sell some of my cars, uh, my second-hand Are car. you
0: Irish by any chance? It sounds like a blagging situation so going on. He's here.
2: worse
1: than that. He's worse than that. No, anyway, no. Um, yeah. anyway, go on, Paul.
2: It, it worked in my favor, and we had a lovely... Um, uh, secretary, it was quite uh, friendly and helpful. She would take the telephone calls for the cars that I had in my car lot in Oxford. And every time I sold a car through using uh, Eddie Jordan's number, I would give her a, a small commission. Uh, that was working fine, but I hadn't... worked from <laughs> me, by the way. You None. didn't know about it? I mean, no, I didn't. You must didn't, be one I? of
0: the few that's managed to get away with that.
2: I think it was everything was going fine. But obviously, when you're young, you think you're entrepreneurial... Thief is the word, Paul. uh, Businessman. What happened is that Eddie Jordan, uh, Eddie took a a telephone number for somebody who wanted to buy an Austin Allegro. And obviously he didn't have an Austin Allegro (laughs) to sell. So I just got this abuse. Uh, Eddie had a mezzanine on the top of the workshop, you know, unit 21 at Silverstone. Do you remember it, David? Yeah. And uh, I just remember him shouting, uh, I won't swear because get up in my office now. And uh, so I went up to the office. I thought, this is it, you know, uh, P45. So I went into the office, sat down, and um, he's scribbling away, looking at me and everything. And um, he said, do you know what I've just, just had? I said, no. He said, I've had a phone call. Somebody wanted to buy an Austin Allegro. I don't own Austin Allegro. So um, I thought, okay. So I told him the whole story. He was fairly angry, but at that time, he then uh, had written three cars that he did own. That he wanted me to work on and eventually sell. And and that was really my opportunity. He gave me my opportunity to break into the commercial side with with Jordan's.
0: And then so you you definitely confirmed that you were more in, in that side of the business than on the mechanicing side. And the the, the journey continued. When we were talking off-air earlier, you mentioned that Eddie might have you know fired you five or six times and then would then call you up and say, Why are you not at work? And you go, Well, you fired me yesterday. And then you <laughs> not go, I was only
2: yeah. joking. Come on, how many times was it?
0: Ten would, would not be
2: enough. Thirteen would probably be the maximum. I'd um, say, Paul, I've had it with you. Get out of here with words.
1: And uh, he'd be gone down the road. I I'd forget about him for about three or four days. And then I'd find out, well, where's fucking Paul Jordan? And he said, well, you sacked him. And I said, oh, get him on the phone and tell him yeah, to get back yeah, in but here. The,
2: the reason you'd sacked me, Eddie, is that I was carrying out some of your sort of duties that you asked me to do. Duties? At one point, he got hold of a Rolex, private Rolex catalogue. Um, and he would circle every single watch on the catalogue the, and the, the auction was at Christie's in London and he sent me to
1: get down I, there and buy now to, go, was, and, was to two. go
2: to go and buy those two watches that he put an asterisk by his side but he'd circled every single watch <laughs> so <laughs> I bought I was I was quite pleased myself I'd managed to buy every single watch in the collection uh, of the and, asterisk of, of the Asterix, Yeah. Um, so I'd come out the auction, you know, and it was 157,000 pounds or something, which was a lot of money in, in 91 or whatever, um, money we probably didn't have as a team. And, um, I said, let Eddie, I said, it's fantastic. I've got every single watch that you wanted. And then there was just like abuse on the Silence. phone. Silence. <laughs> you're, you're sacked. You're sacked again. <laughs> and again, two days later, obviously, where is it? Uh, where is PJ? So, um, and it's, it's an, it's an ongoing theme, you know, uh, doing something for Eddie and then getting sacked. Um, yeah, it's, it's fant- it was fantastic. I mean, it was a roller coaster. It, it was it wasn't a job. It was just pure enjoyment. You know, how and many years did you you work together? Thirteen years. Wow. Yeah. But you have to remember, I was a softy to put up with you for thirteen years. Uh, but you have to remember, we you know we were breaking into the big league. We didn't have big sponsors. You know, we had to survive. And you know, Eddie, you know, through his brilliance, um, pulling deals that you know no other no other team would would even consider you know we'd fu- we sign sponsors the really funny thing about it we signed sign a sponsor they'd have branding on the car, but they hadn't bought tickets in the deal. So if they wanted to come to the race, that was extra. If they wanted a sticker on the car, that was extra. If they wanted the table and the hospitality, that was extra. It was just upselling. Upselling, upselling. yeah. You go into a hotel room and yeah. the fridge is there. Yeah. If you want something yeah. out of the fridge, you pay for it, don't yeah. you? Yeah. Why should it be all just be a freebie? No, no, but they obviously they assume that once you buy a sponsorship package, it does come well, with a ticket that you can come to see but, the, the car that you're sponsoring. Yeah, yeah.
0: well I I would have been one of those guys that assumed but, you're a, uh, but you're, are you are you a mug?
1: Well, clearly. Paul had a relationship, not just with my mother, Eileen, because he, she liked him. And uh, because he lived in Oxford and he'd come and he was always nice to her, and he was always nice to Marie. So he would get the job that I would be furious about. I remember when Zoe, um, in a hockey game, uh, Zoe, by the way, is my eldest daughter. Um, she was in Marlborough School and she mooned out the back of the bus at the headmaster, having won a, a big game for the hockey team. Incidentally, she was the captain of the team, but um, our future Queen Kate Middleton was, um, was a member of her team and was a great player, by the way. Um, so um, when the headmaster, Mr. Gould, Paul... He didn't actually take over from being Mr. Jordan, so I was sent for. So I had to go down and see him. But Paul did all of the introductory things before that, and um, I wanted to know from the headmaster how could he be so sure that it was my daughter who mooned out the back of the bus, kind of that that kind of... Kind of stopped them a little bit for a while. But that was the kind of thing. And then why don't you tell them about poor old Zach? Zach, Zach is yeah. His
2: son. yeah. Zach, one of, your, one of your young lads, one of your boys and your sons. Um, so obviously when we were at uh, cigarette sponsorship, I got a phone call. So it said sort of quite close to the family. I got a phone call one day that there was a, a young Jordan junior on the main road going into Oxford selling cigarettes. At half at half price that <laughs> that he'd taken out of the cupboard in in Eddie's house. So you know the DNA is it still runs it still runs very very true. So it's, it's a catalogue of instances that and, we've and we've shared and have enjoyed. For old Zach, he was a bit wild in those days, and he's not wild at all
1: now. But he's a calm father and um so he was in Malib- he, uh, the girls were in malva but the, the lads were in a place called um, the dragon school and again the headmaster sent for us because he was selling cigarettes to all the, the boarders in their half price and he was saying why shouldn't i sell them to them they're going to buy them anyway so that was his attitude and
2: you know who? Could but you blame? encouraged that eddie so i did not you
0: did actually I, i've only ever seen you as a An adult father. I I never saw you when your kids were young. Were you, did you leave Marie, your wife, to get on with all that? No, but she she would give up on me because she thought I wouldn't, do it so she rang Paul to sort it out. I had, I had many tasks, yeah. So, you weren't you weren't just a member of the race team, you were a member of the family,
2: yeah. I was an extension of the family, um, on many occasions doing certain things when Eddie was away. So, yeah, it was enjoyable. Father was,
0: of any of the children, or uh, the, you,
2: the, the role didn't go that far? No, it didn't go that far. No, that's, that's I must apologize yeah. to Marie, even yeah. the suggestion of that joke. Thank you. I she, I think she, that's not even.
1: You know, David, come on. I apologize. Okay. I,
2: okay.
0: Couldn't, you can, I couldn't help it,
2: though. Should we, ah. we go back on to some of the deals? Yeah. Do you want to talk Let's about oh, wow. I'd
0: love to hear a deal yeah. story, especially because I, I think the may which be for sh- you. Sh- should
2: we go on to when Jordan was launched in and, and the first Jordan Formula One car? Oh, uh, yeah. You, you named it 911 or well, 91.1. Um, obviously, and a lot of people were referencing it. You, you might remember, David, a lot of people were referencing it as a 911. And obviously, Porsche owned the rights to nine eleven. So, um, I think somebody from the uh, the Porsche board phoned Eddie and said, "You've got to stop using ninety one one or nine eleven because we own it." He said, "Well, it's it's the public, it's the media, it's calling it." So um, Eddie then carried on and, and said, that, you know, I we, had a row we,
1: with this guy and he wasn't seeing sense. And eventually when he knew I wasn't going to do it, there was a little bit of a trade off. Paul, oh, come on, tell us. Well, now. you
2: said that you registered the trademark, which I don't think you probably had, <laughs> and that, that you'd invested all these millions in the marketing side to promote the, the 91.1. So I think you settled with some compensation, a free 9-11 for two years. Turbo. turbo turbo. he probably had someone paying for the fuel as well yeah (laughs) and and yeah so I mean that's just one and again there's when we uh, before we before you went into Formula One we'd sold all the Formula 3000 team that we we had Um, Eddie was it Eddie Irvine Uh, Damon Hill Damon Hill yeah and so Eddie got a contract to run Barclay cigarettes for a Formula 3000 team but we didn't have a team so there was another team in 3000 called Middlebridge Racing I think so we Eddie did the deal i think uh, it was quite a large substantial sponsorship deal from from uh, barclays cigarettes eddie obviously kept the line share of the money and gave the money not true the right? rest the rest <laughs> of the money to the team <laughs> But before that, we bought all the Leighton House Formula One team equipment—the trucks, the motorhome, uh, all the equipment within the within the garage, etc.
1: Sorry, you just Paul, you better tell them that they'd gone bankrupt.
2: They'd gone bankrupt, yeah. So that was in yeah 1990. They'd
0: gone bankrupt. That was Adrian Newey design car, I think. That's right. It was yeah. a beautiful yeah. looking and, car. Uh, yeah. As was the Jordan ninety one point one. It Was a beautiful looking a, car. 19, so it was a
2: bright blue car. Um, bright blue, sorry, bright blue uh, car they ran, and all the equipment obviously was painted the same so we sold everything apart from this this pretty brand new motorhome um which was obviously in the bright blue eddie had sold that motorhome said it was new to the to the new sponsor so barclay cigarettes so we had it painted in the cream and with all the barclay sponsors on it which obviously was extra to paint it extra Um, first race was in vallalunga and it started to rain so the hospitality team then got the motorhome awning out of it, which was still in the Leighton House bright blue colours with mushrooms, dead mice. (laughs) I mean, they were absolutely ballistic. The (laughs)
0: sponsors (laughs) were. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Because he'd sold them a a brand new motorhome when you'd expect to have a brand new... Brand, brand new old. paint, it was. Yeah, didn't no, I say. don't think you said. I think you said it was a brand new. So,
0: so was was an education uh, working for Eddie and and how he would embellish uh, the facts, or did it come naturally to you to to go? Well, look, this is this is motor racing. You've got to do what you need to do to survive. If you couldn't borrow it
2: or um, st- steal, steal, steal it, st- <laughs> <laughs> steal, <you> say- <laughs> <laughs> steal it? Then you didn't have it, you know. So it, it taught you a. a Good lessons on how to survive, you know. So, I um, mean, that was the that was the makings. It was fun. Yeah, it, there wasn't.
0: It was. I say, there was not a day that wasn't enjoyable. We, we were very lucky uh, a few episodes ago to have uh, Bertrand Gascio join us uh, in London, and I, I've known Bertrand since um, before I was in Formula One, and then he's gone off, gone off and had great success in, in business. But it was really fascinating for me to see him sort of reunite with Eddie. And, and reminisce over a period, which was was difficult for the Jordan team, was difficult for, for Eddie and, of course, for Bertrand. But it was fantastic for me to see how he's moved on and he's matured into this next phase of his life. And Eddie's been very helpful with his daughter, Grace, who's a brilliant singer. If you haven't listened to her, you should check her out on on YouTube. Absolutely fantastic. Um, have you got any any memories from, from that phase, the transition, uh, Michael Schumacher coming on board, Eddie wheeling and dealing, or did, were you just... Focused on the partners and sponsors. No, I mean, I was—I
2: I think I was sent to do certain jobs that Eddie didn't want to get involved in. You know, I mean, on on certain occasions, he would put me in his. He said, "Look, you're a very important sponsor to us. Long to have my son come and look after you." You know, so there are there <laughs> are were certain the occasions <laughs> I mean, he was my <laughs> son <laughs> when I needed him. Yeah, so um, I adopted you, didn't I, Paul? Yeah, not legally. Okay. Yeah. Okay. No, I was. The inheritance uh, was quite quite. good. Maybe you should push for that. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't. I didn't get the payoff, but he got
1: thirteen years working with a nice little touch every time. He earned very well.
2: Yeah. We 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 were looked after. And to be honest, even in the very bad days, David, and you know about uh, racing, um, all the staff were always paid first.
0: Yeah, that's one thing, Eddie. To your credit, I've never heard anyone say that. You didn't take care of your employees. Mm. I've heard lots of people say he might have left a bar bill or something, and uh, he's, he, uh, you're, you're, you're dying good. out on that, aren't you, David? I'm you
1: met di- some idiot who's an absolute liar, flake. He gave you some cock and bull story in Dublin,
2: and you're living out on this. Eddie, you were going to the butcher shop in toaster and asked for free meat.
1: Um, no, what I did actually—that's <laughs> not quite true. No, it's, what I did do.
2: Was I did a deal with the
1: corner shop that I would give them cartons of cigarettes to, to offset against the grocery bills for the week? But that's fair enough. That's trading. That's, 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 that's yeah. That's, and then we, tra- we would
2: we would take uh, uh, Silverstone in the old days, David. There was a cafe in the middle. Do you remember? Yeah, I do. I've and Diane it. used to work. Remember Di? gorgeous, Diane? Gorgeous. So we used to Eddie. We, it was he instructed me to go and get the old food to sell it to the farmer to get free eggs. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that,
1: and I'm not admitting to any of that. Please move on. This is getting ridiculous.
0: Well, I, I can believe it. Though. But anyway,
1: the- um, no, you know what's funny about it? Um, we always used to have Jordan parties, and I think it was indicative. If you remember, um, even in 98 with a Damon Hill success in, in Spa, We put every single member of staff uh, on a bus, and I'm not sure other teams did that. I mean, I'm talking about everyone was entitled to go. And um, for me, the staff was everything because I embraced them. They knew how difficult it was, and they knew when I had money that they got some of it, and when I didn't have the money, um, I never put them in the promised land. I always went out to other people to borrow it or to... Be responsible for it but everyone got paid and i think that was something that's why when i went eventually with david here in 2008 and when they asked me to go and do bbc i was able to go to every motorhome because all the ex-staff were sort of littered around formula one and various teams but no one could ever say you left me short I, you, you screwed me i never got paid uh, because everyone did oh, get
2: you paid. always looked after the staff i remember at the end of 1991 which was a difficult year for you i remember you laid out, laid on a concert. You got Chris Rear down to play a private concert for the whole team. You know, he, Eddie did good things for the team. Yeah, but there was always a deal. Yeah, even '91 in the first year, the the passes that you used to have to get into Silverstone were paper, not electronic. So Eddie asked me to careful, photo. careful here, Paul. <laughs> careful, Paul. I think we <laughs> all used to get up
0: to this with passes. a passage, so <laughs> photo, photo, photo <laughs> copy
2: that you colour and just sell them on the gate. Sell and give.
0: Oh, no, no, we sold them, Eddie, because oh. you needed
2: some cash. No, but
0: please, But you keep the retro- team alive. I'm not going to give you a hard time for the past because we forgive, don't we? Forgiveness is one of the... Well, the problem was, we all say... There's no point being a bankrupt
1: hero. And there's also another thing. You don't want to be the richest man in the graveyard. What you need to do is to have fun and be respectful and to do whatever you can do and stretch everything out to make sure it happens. But 91 was a really difficult year, if you remember, when when the bailiffs, I mean, we used to have to hide. that They couldn't be seen to be working on a Friday at 2 o'clock because the bailiff always came at 2 o'clock on a Friday. And, and once it came to 2.30, they could pick up tools again. But, you know, they were they were... You just knew what the game was,
2: didn't you? Yeah, they were hard days, but enjoyable days.
0: So do you think Formula One's gone a bit soft now? There's 10 teams and, you know, there was uh, Andretti were trying to come into the sport and, of course, the the franchise holders, the teams are pushing back going, well, hold on a minute, we are heavily invested in this for many, many years. Why should we allow someone to come in without us getting a little bit of a payment? I know when I've discussed this with, with Eddie, uh, he sympathizes with the current teams and as much that you know you you've got to you can't just give away what you've invested in but w- where do you sit on that do you do you think that it would be good for formula one to go back to those days where you're actually struggling to get qualify for the, the grid effectively yeah i think it makes it
2: makes for better racing for better for the public in the, the day you know if you if you've got a knockout formula or whatever they decide to come up with um but from the team's perspective obviously it dilutes the what they're going to get at the end of the year. So you can see it from both sides, but I would love to see two more teams on the grid. Um,
1: Look, I think fundamentally, it's, I hate to use the word, but it's always there, and Bernie used to say, it's greed. Uh, When you have a situation, it's a bit like what they're trying to put into uh, rugby uh, in the premiership in the UK. I like the situation in soccer, that the, the, the bottom three are demoted and the top Move three on. of the other one come in. And I think you have to reward greatness. And if someone is putting the effort in and wins um, the, the second division or whatever they call it, the Champions Cup, a league, um, in, in, they should come up. And, you know, if Southampton, as they've just gone down, um, they should go down. If they haven't got the acquired number of points, I think that's fair. Now, put that analogy into, into Formula One. I think it takes the effort out. I'm not saying that any one team doesn't put in 100%. They absolutely all do. But I just fear that we need another new team. Andretti could have been very good, and I really think they should have got a chance. They've been around, they have got history, they've got a name. And if you're looking at America, I'm surprised that Liberty didn't insist that they got him because that's the way they think. And I'm just thinking, you know, look at somebody like Drio, who's been on the cusp of Formula 1 for dozens and dozens and dozens of years. He's won Formula 2, Formula 3000, he's won Formula 3 you know, he should be allowed or he should be man enough to step up into Formula
0: One. And I'd love to see that happen. I'd love to support it. So the point of entry now is, is too is too difficult. I don't actually know what the financials are to come into Massive. Formula One. You can't even think about it.
2: Well, you've got to pay, the obviously, the fee, the 200 million to start with, isn't it, to, to lodge your entry. Um, and then, you know, the, there's obviously the budget cap. But even the way the teams get teams get around the budget cap nowadays is not really fair. But I agree with Eddie that if you've got the, the bottom two teams, you know, don't score points. I think it would make for a more hungry championship. At the moment, um, you know, okay, I'm not saying whoever is going to be last, and obviously, unfortunately, it's the Williams at the moment. But there's no one behind them, so that you know, if they if they come last, there's no no penalty as such. So Paul, they get a
1: massive, you know, when I consider, and I'm not begrudging it to them the amount of money these guys are sharing on a tv uh, income is huge and if they're you know it takes the the pain out of it because once you have that money and then just other sponsors and maybe a driver brings something you you're sure secure you've got the money yeah, for the season securities. you can
0: sit back and relax you're not hungry so we back in the day i think the, the team's Take well over a billion in, in the uh, which is distributed depending on success. W- where would it have been when you were running Jordan? Would it be half of that that was split between the teams? We were lucky to get five or six well, million. There, there were different columns that you got paid from
2: Mr. Eccleston's formula. Um, which I never... You probably know it better than me how it's calculated.
1: He used to take most of it back, probably rightly so, because it was all given... It was front-loaded to me because there was always a need for cash to survive. So he would say, look, there's um, 2 million or 3 million, but he would take it out of the... But but what I didn't agree with him was that there was a 10% interest charge. You know, Bernie is Bernie. Uh, He hasn't got to where he is by being soft. Um, But at the same time, I couldn't have survived without him. So which... Who's the evil there? There's no evil. Bernie did what he was able to do and he he always said jordan i'll support you because you were trying and that you want it to happen whereas a lot of other teams unfortunately fell by the wayside and he did nothing to help them because he didn't think they deserved the help or he didn't think by helping them it would make the slightest bit of difference Yeah, but the
2: three of us are sat here today because the mystery of what he did for the sport you know they're as far as I'm concerned,
0: yeah, absolutely. I, I have uh, the the little telegram that he gave me, uh, which he gave to every driver when they won the first Grand Prix, which was a a little silver telegram that said, uh, "Congratulations!" Stop. Which I guess is what they, how they used to do it in telegrams. You're no longer a virgin. Stop because I'd won my my first race. So he had a good sense of humor. He always just, his Christmas cards were always something Hilarious. slightly controversial. And I think there was once uh, where he, had he donated a million pounds to the Labour Party, um, and he probably donated a million pounds to the Conservatives and whoever else was a party okay, at that the old time type. to keep everyone <laughs> everyone happy. And and then somehow it came out in the media as to whether it was all done in the correct manner. And the Christmas card that year had a, a million pound note, obviously a fake, that went inside as if you, know, you used to get money in your Christmas cards from your auntie or whatever. Yeah. So everyone got one of those. So he definitely had a sense of humor for that sort of thing. I think it would only be right, given your 13 year stretch uh, working with Eddie and your lifelong uh, clearly friendship, that you you get the closing moment here of our discussion. Is there something you've always wanted to to clarify or set Eddie straight on or is a obviously remember we're a family show here, so you've got to keep it clean. Is there one more little insight because I know you must have hundreds of stories. Give us one little nugget.
2: What I say last, David. What I always remember is that when Eddie was negotiating, whatever say it was in dollars, whatever was the higher of the currency, he would. And so the sponsor say, you know, it was dollars, and then he say, no, no, it, it was. I meant euros. So whatever was the highest, whatever whatever deal we could get, more money out of the sponsor. That's what he did. You're not doing me any favours. No, no, sure. but.
0: That's, that's good business, though. That's entrepreneurial. Of course
1: it's not dollars. We're in Italy. We're in Ireland. We're in England. Whatever. It's it's, it's in pounds, I and think. And you used
2: to say to them, you would fleece them. I mean, I don't think the corporates and the CEOs had ever been spoken to the way that Eddie spoke to them. You know, I'm going to. Fleece you. I'm going to take your pants and exactly. <laughs> no, 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 I'm
1: no. going to fleece you. And they all laughed and joked about it. And, of course, I'm saying, well, you may be laughing and joking, but is gonna and it is going to happen. And then they loved it because no one ever spoke to no. them like that.
0: No. No. As long as they paid. Well, they got the Jordan experience. And I, I've got to go. say, I've thoroughly enjoyed having the double Jordan. Jordan squared experience. Paul, thank you very much for coming and joining us here on the podcast. Eddie, well, a Jordan who actually just sticks to script well, not the scripted, but, you know, a Jordan that actually seems to, you know, dot the I's and cross the T's. This has been really in, in, enlightening now for me. I'm very
1: relieved. I'm very Calm. relieved because Paul knows an awful lot more than what you just said there. And I'm very pleased that this is over and that <laughs> I've escaped, more or less.
0: <laughs> well, look, let's go. We've got a little pub just around the corner. Why don't we go there, have a little pint, and uh, I, I can share some of the stories with our listeners next time.